Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of magic, the Gathering, Dark Ritual, Himdatorak, Liliana the Veil, most importantly, Sinkhole, among others, battling head to head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Eternal Glory Podcast. This is episode 57, Lords of the Pit. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Brian Cook and Brian Koval. How are y'all doing tonight? Just delightful, Phil. Happy to be here. Can't wait to talk about some legacy. I'm doing really good. Uh, I told these guys that I would have to start a little late tonight because I have an appointment. What I didn't tell them was my appointment was a 90-minute massage. So I have just literally rolled off the massage table, drove home, and sat down for this podcast. So I'm feeling really good right now. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm I'm absolutely jelly right now. Yep, peanut butter. And uh, this was something that I was planning on doing be- at, before COVID hit. And then it was like, well, I can't just like go do that. Like, it's literally just 90 minutes of body contact with a stranger. Like, I... I can't do that during COVID times. And then like as the vaccine started to open things up and I was just, just like forgot or like was too lazy and then finally pulled the trigger. No regrets. Um, so I think you have a life update for us, if I'm not mistaken. I do. It's a significant one. I have a new job. My, I've been talking about this the last month or two. Uh, I don't remember how deep I went into it on the podcast, but I know I've mentioned it and other avenues and other conversations but i have made a career change still in the same field but i'm doing uh in-home stuff which lets me build my schedule a little more uh lets me back off of hours if i want to so this is a pretty big life adjustment and a significant motivator of it was creating more time to make content outside of a normal 40 hour a week job so if you are not subscribed to my patreon or my youtube membership supporting me directly now would be a wonderful time to take that plunge because i'm making big changes to make that a successful endeavor i uh i I think i have to go down to four days a week i thought i was going to be able to maintain five and i've just had a series of events kind of happen the last couple of weeks that have eaten up all my time and it's made it clear like if i don't have a queue uh like a you know a the some number of videos recorded in advance as a buffer uh when real life happens i i lose so much ground yep i feel that phil i went four days without uh publishing a video over the weekend friday saturday sunday and monday just because i was gone traveling for the legacy pit open so sometimes like just uploading isn't that important four days is fine this week you know a little bit less for me but the fans appreciate what we can do right yeah oh yeah I had a pretty thick queue built up, and last week I was just, like, preparing to be out of town for three days, which is something I haven't done in a year and a half, uh, preparing for a magic tournament, leaving my deck, like, 
making sure all my cards were together. I wrote a sideboard guide and primer for Patreon before the event. Like, I, I just did nothing for my channel. I didn't even make a thumbnail last week for the existing pre-recorded videos, and it took a chunk out of my queue, but that's what the queue is for. But, like, definitely this working 40 hours a week stuff is for the birds if you're also trying to release four or five videos a week. I'm off it, literally. Yeah. Um, so I, I've had kind of a rough two weeks. Um, we ended up having to put our, our cap down um, last week. Um, ended up, uh, we thought it was pancreatitis at first, and it ended up being a bunch of tumors. So uh, lost, a, lost a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on there and help a girlfriend deal with, you know, stress and grief and whatnot. Certainly so, sure. uh, yeah, you know, it, it it is what it is. Uh, but, you know, I have done absolute minimal recording in the last two weeks, you know, eat, eating away almost all of my buffer. Uh, so I've got I've got two of my four videos recorded for next week. Uh, I think I'll be on track to keep up with four. But people in the YouTube comments were like, hey, Phil, why are there no timestamps this week? And I'm just like, no time, no time. No time Some for timestamps. <laughs> Welcome to this wormhole. Some of the the finer things around the edge are uh, are, are not happening right now. I, re I recycled a thumbnail, you know, some some stuff like that. Phil, oh, yeah. uh, you wouldn't believe the number of people I had messaging me being like, "Your own podcast co-host doesn't know what the epic storm is." Am I gonna Am I gonna put this person on blast on air? It was, am I gonna be that petty tonight? It was several people. <laughs> All right. So here, here's here's the fucking story. So. I, I don't have timestamps on any of my videos this week. And some random kind-hearted individual posts timestamps for one of my video. And I copy and paste them and put them onto my video. And then I get like seven fucking messages being like, oh my gosh, you don't know the difference between TES and Ant? And it took everything I had to just not just fucking rail into some people. Yeah, I get that. Ugh. The comments... The comments, let me let me tell you, uh, podcast listeners, I generally don't put comments on Blast publicly. I appreciate any engagement with my content, even if it's dumb. But uh, Phil and Bryant will confirm. I, I use our podcast group chat as where I dump some of the highlights where I'm just like this fucking guy. And uh, my Bant Loam deck that I'm going to talk about a lot in this episode because it's what I've been working on. I'm pretty proud of it. I I released the first video of it, 5-0 the League. I had a whole deck tech where I explained why I like Loam better than Sylvan Library, why all of the choices are there. Somebody leaves a comment that's like, where's Sylvan Library? Seems stupid not to play it with a row. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Thanks for watching the video, by the way. <laughs> I explained this in the first three minutes. It's the entire point of the video. So we got one of those. Uh, I also got someone comment on my Legacy Callblade video, which is over a month old at this point. That was like, wow, you play really bad with like the letter U and R-L-Y bad. And it's just like, this deck sucked. I think I played it pretty well, honestly. And if you stuck <laughs> around at all, you would hear me say, wow, I'm playing 2015 Legacy in 2021 and it's not working. And that was my takeaway from playing that deck. So... E to D, YouTube commenters. But thank you for the engagement. I'm sure the two of you also realize this when looking at your video analytics. There's always a really big drop-off from the deck tech to round one. People just skip to round one without ever watching the deck tech, and then they just leave really dumb comments. 
and I've watched some other channels recently trying to figure out what they're doing, and they just don't do deck techs, and then their comment sections are all just people asking them about the deck. So... <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, uh, it blows my mind that some people just like don't describe their deck at all. They just start in round number one and you have to guess what they're playing. Yeah, I had one thing. There was one video. I forget the specific circumstances, but there was something that I explained in the deck tech that was very important. Maybe about the quality of the video where I was like, you know, sorry for the crazy background noise. It was like something kind of not specifically deck related that I mentioned in the deck tech. Like, hey, just so you know, moving forward. And I had so many comments about that thing specifically, like pointing it out to me like I didn't know. And it's like, thank you all for revealing you don't watch the deck tech. And so many people were like, yeah, I just jump in at round one. And then I get other people who are like, I only watch the deck tech and then I might like scroll quickly through the, the gameplay just to see like if anything interesting is going on. So I, I, I think that doing both is just best practice. You're going to get the skippers and you're going to get the people who are only there for the deck tech. I think I actually remember the video you were talking about. It was one where you didn't realize what some Eldrazi does. Oh, like, oh that's this what deck it was. sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I, I didn't realize that, I have Ugin and Eldrazi Temple specified colorless Eldrazi on it, and I spent the entire league just flipping the fuck out that I Moto wouldn't let me cast my Realm Walkers. It's like, <laughs> like this whole <laughs> this league is shit. If Moto would let me just cast my spells, would be nice if I could play without a bug. And I just like did that for the entire video, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. And people were just pointing out the entire video, like, no idiot, you're wrong. It's like, yeah, my bad. All right, I have another good one for this week. Um, so I didn't immediately realize that you can use a Cavern of Souls to cast a Grist because it's it's creature when it's in your hand, and this is just like not an immediately intuitive thing, right? So I play Cavern of Souls, then realize I don't have mana for Grist, and I go, oh, I bet I could have put that on Insect and cast Grist. And it takes me literally three seconds to figure this out. And I got about 10 comments asking, oh, why didn't you use Cavernous Souls to play Grist? It's like, I figured it out. I figured it out immediately. Three seconds. I love the, those comments. You get double engagement because they're like, hey, idiot, why don't you copy your opponent's Dark Depths with your Thespian stage? And then I realize it like one turn cycle later, like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And then they comment again and they're like, oh, you figured it out. It's like, yeah, I did. Thanks. There's also some people that just watch on mute. And then, like, don't hear what you're saying. So they're just, like, flabbergasted at the fact that you would do something and then later acknowledge that it was wrong. I love YouTube comments. They're great. Yeah, I've, I've considered in the more devious part of my brain just, like, saying something preposterous on purpose in the early parts of every episode <laughs> to just to get engagement. <laughs> like, I had a game, uh, the Yorian Zoo deck that I posted last week. There was, like, my opponent... I went like Tropical Island, Birds of Paradise, and my opponent went Volcanic Island, Lightning Bolt. And I was like, wow, we're playing some alpha magic here. And I got probably 12 comments saying Volcanic Island wasn't an alpha. <laughs> I was just like, yep, you got me. Got me real good. Uh, maybe I should just like... Oh, also, when I played Enchantress, I was like, uh, Argothian Enchantress is the original Enchantress. And people were like, what about Virudian Enchantress? It was an alpha, you idiot. So I'm going to start just saying things that are wrong and trigger the uh, the old school community because they love to correct me. 
to uh, tie in something from this past weekend, which is the Legacy Pit, our topic for today, uh, but it relates to this. I had someone approach me before round one and they say, hey, Brian, I just want to let you know I'm a really big fan of the podcast. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I, we appreciate you listening, blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, and I love Brian and Phil's videos. Just daggered me straight dead. I don't know if they meant to, but I thought it was pretty funny. Wow, smoked. <laughs> It's still funny the second time I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to get into the experience of playing Paper Magic again, but I did not miss the uh, awkwardness, the lack of social graces of gamers. Uh, we'll dig into that later. I I don't want to hijack the life update section when we were first getting started even further than we're already gone. But like, oh, I thought wow. this was the YouTube comments section. I got confused. Yeah, I mean, it same Z's, but like it turns out that the YouTube comments are a pretty accurate reflection of how a lot of these people behave in real life. So, we'll dig into that later. Uh the the slop section will include gamers interacting with gamers IRL. I had plenty of delightful interactions with people who like came up to me and were like, "I love your channel. I signed a set of Shark Typhoons. That was pretty awesome. Signed some monk tokens." Like that was a lot of fun. I appreciate all those people. I met some patron on patrons in real life. Great stuff. I'm not talking about you, but <laughs> there were some weird stuff going on that I did not miss for the last year and a half. All right. Well, I think that we should thank uh, some of our donators from the last episode. Dick Fisher, shout outs to you. Patrick Skihill, Matt Hackbert, and Michael Horn, who was my round nine opponent. Thank you to the four of you for helping to keep food on Force of Phil's table and uh, all that good stuff. All right. Um. So I guess let's let's talk about magic a little bit before we talk about magic. Um. In terms of content, I'm putting up some pretty fun stuff. I have two videos with the uh, the dwarf bugs decklist that has been running around. Uh, it's essentially a dwarf slash changeling tribal deck with a like four alternate win conditions. Uh, it's a lot of fun and is surprisingly competitive for what is a crazy pile of jank. Um. Highly recommend checking those out. And uh, next week, I have a D&T tutoring league going up. Um, so if you want to kind of see what a tutoring session looks like and watch me actually play some Death and Taxes, well, uh, almost play Death and Taxes. I'm, I'm, I'm doing some of the helping. Um, it's, it's a really cool video, and some absolutely insane lines are present in this, uh, in this video. Nice. That dwarf stack has been all over Twitter. I think Honorog streamed it. I know um, Eric Virgo has been doing a ton of work on it, and I think he's in playing the modern version. But correct, yeah, it looks crazy. Yeah, uh, I I went in going like I wonder how this deck is going to do. I finished the the recording, borrowed like five more cards, and immediately ran it back because I knew I was going to want to do another video on it. Awesome, like it is. It is shenanigans. High quality shenanigans. All right, I guess I'll go next. Uh, I have a tournament report for the Legacy Pit Open that I published about 40 minutes before we started recording. So if you liked this episode, definitely go check out my tournament report. But also, I crushed last weekend's Legacy Challenge with the Epic Storm. I've just been on a little bit of a heater recently. Lots of great Storm content of me doing well. So if you like watching me do well, go check those out. And if you like watching me lose, come back later. That's good advice. Uh, my 
on the magic side, I already mentioned it. Lone Bant is my big project right now. I released a trophy league with my first crack at replacing Sylvian Library with Loam. That video is extremely popular. It's like into like 13k views just over the weekend. And I have my playoff with Maxtortion up as well, where I was playing the four color version. And then this Friday, so probably coincide with the release of this podcast, there's another four color release. Uh, so there's a lot of content if you want to see that deck in action. It's what I played at the Legacy Pit, so we're going to be talking about a lot. And for even more Bant-related content, I did a video tournament report where I basically just scrolled through my Twitter feed and talked about each match from memory for about 20 minutes. A lot of people asked if I was going to do like a post-mortem after the event, so I did, and ran it on Wednesday, which is when I normally don't release videos, so a little freebie for the listeners out there. So I've done a few uh, post-tournament report things for like 2Ks and stuff, Brian, with still images. And I can't wait to read your comments section, I'll be completely honest, because people are like, why weren't you carrying around a camera? Why didn't you get any video coverage of your match? You couldn't put a camera above the table? Like, stuff like that is just, like, preposterous. But, like, that's some of the stuff that people suggest. Yeah, and I get a lot of suggestions like that. And just this week, actually... One of my videos ended up with kind of weird audio, like you could hear like the the slightest of static. Like if you have noise canceling headphones on and the volume way up, you can hear like a little bit of static as I start and stop talking, uh, like as my noise gate opens up and closes. And the tech experts in the the YouTube comments that are like, you should just pull your audio, scrub it through Audacity, like send it back through your editing software. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, what? how much time do you think I have to put into editing a video? Like I, I hack out the dead air. I do a once over to make sure nothing weird's in there. And I send it out. Like, I am a one man operation. It releases four days a week, it's like eight to 10 hours of content while held, holding down a job. I don't have room to scrub my audio through Audacity just in case there's some static in the background. You fucking psychos. <laughs> I also don't know like why some of my videos are perfectly fine and then other videos randomly do that because I've encountered that same thing as well. Yep, same. And I really do take a ton of IRL precautions to try to get ahead of that. Like I am aware of it. I am not a tech expert. I don't record in a sound booth. Like I am just in the extra bedroom of my house and I do have some like foam squares and uh, heavy wool blankets hanging up on the walls like directly in front of me to reduce echo. Uh, I have stopped recording with my oscillating fan on in the corner, even though it gets hot in here sometimes, because I think that makes some noise. I have my computer pushed as far back again to like the back of my desk as possible. So like the whir, the, the subtle whir of my laptop is as far from the mic as I can get it. Like I'm doing all of these things. I have noise gate, noise suppression. Like I have a lot of stuff going on. So like the people who just fire off a one second YouTube comment, how to fix all my problems can chill the fuck out. Cause I promise I care more than you do. That's my, my rant for the day. No, I'm sure you'll have more, but let's not. Lie <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm done ranting about that for the day. Okay. Do we have anything before we get into today's topic? No, I don't, I don't think I really have anything. Um, let's just, uh, let's just run it off. Um, so the two of you went and, uh, and did this awesome paper event. I was, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons and dicking around at home in the meantime. Um, so I'll kind of let you two take point on this and I'll chime in when I have, uh, things to say about the data or thoughts on metagame and whatnot. 
So, you know, what was it like to do sort of a a, a real paper event with I, a lot of people? I want to get the bad news out of the way first. Like, the reason you weren't there, you were completely justified. Like, I imagine your decision was based on COVID primarily, and I didn't feel great about being there. They had a pretty strict mask policy. It was like a one morning, then you're out. If your mask was even like off your nose, much less uh, off your face, which I appreciated a lot. However, it was in a hotel conference room. There was one door in, one door out. All 400 people in the room had to shuffle in and out. The seating at the table, I mean, they were just like normal tables. You were like two and a half feet away from the face of your opponent at all times. You were rubbing elbows with the people to your right and your left at all times, cutting decks, shaking hands. Like some people made some effort of like, hey, good to see you. And then do like an elbow bump or like a some like weird like wave their hands in the air like this is me shaking hands right now haha <laughs> but a lot of people were just like great game put her there and just like reach out for your hand and like sometimes i remembered like oh no it's covid times good games thumbs up and other times i just reflexively took the handshake and there were so social distancing was just impossible and people weren't really doing the best they could with the space they had either so all of those things i'm not going to go to a big event paper event for a while after that experience like that that's my bad news for the weekend so one thing that was a a smaller thing brian was about half of the room wasn't being occupied and i couldn't figure out why they never respaced out the tables like that's something that like got to me a little bit that uh, maybe was a little bit more than half maybe it was 33 percent but they could have spaced out the tables to give people more room and not be on top of one another yeah, I get. I guess they were just reserving that space for like casual or like hoping to fireside events or you know whatever. But yeah, it. I I guess like if you want to nitpick tournament operations, you could say like they should have canceled side events and spread the main event out a little bit. I don't. I don't know. Uh, all of that. I I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback about that. Um, I I know that they, the legacy pit booked this event when like the vaccine was rolled out and everyone was like we're post covid and let's get back into the real world and then the you know 30 40% of americans who are just opting out of the vaccine for no reason uh fucked it up for everyone and delta vi- delta variant is surging and like all that stuff and we're like on the course to close back down and you know all of that i, I- i'm not going to be like mad at the legacy pit for me being uncomfortable in, in that environment and like that all of my complaints about the covid and stuff are like personal this is not for me i am not ready for this not like they shouldn't have done it but yeah um on a pseudo related note um it was maybe yesterday maybe 48 hours ago now the uh the legacy 100k that has been you know in the works for a year and a half uh, finally got canceled just the reality was that event, an event of that size, just could not safely happen right now. Yeah, which is crushing because that was like the Super Bowl. Like Eternal Weekends normally are Super Bowl, and like Missouri MTG just did something way better. And I, I was looking forward to it, but I've been myself and Alex Bastecki and uh, Cameron, uh, another local legacy player. The three of us have a group chat that's been open for months. It's like, is it time to book tickets? Is it time to ask for refunds? Like, we've just been kicking that around for months, and it's just like, 
thank you, Missouri MTG, for can canceling that thing so we don't have to make a bad decision. Uh, like, I really don't think I would have skipped 100k. Like, I, I think if you just, like, gave me 50-50 odds to literally survive, like, bullet in your head, like, Russian roulette, I still would show up to a legacy 100k. And uh, I thank you, Jeremy, for making that call so I don't have to. Uh, I felt tremendous relief when that was formally canceled. And Jeremy himself, by the way, currently really struggling with COVID, like has active confirmed COVID. And he made phone calls to everyone to verify how they want their refund. And like, I I don't have his number, but I, I got a call ID from Missouri. I was like, this can only be one person. And it was like, how do you want your refund? It's like he sounded terrible. Like he's like currently inches away from a ventilator trying to cancel this event for everyone and get everyone their money back. So he made the right call. So to head back to the legacy pet, uh, I arrived to the hotel that the event was at Friday night. We dropped our bags off in the room. There was a bar attached to the hotel. We went there. There was maybe a hundred, hundred fifty people just in the bar, maskless drinking. And I understand that you can't, you know, drink with a mask on, but people didn't even have them around their face. Like it was pretty casual. And, uh, that made me feel nervous enough where I left the bar area. Um, so like, even if the hall required them, there was a lot of other stuff going on. So that made me feel a little bit nervous. And then as I was like off on the side, drinking the beer that I had purchased, uh, people were getting messages that they had double booked rooms. So the people that were in the bar drinking, people were getting checked into the same room where all their stuff was. So the hotel was like, uh, well, we ran out of rooms. There's no extra towels. Uh, apparently there were some issues with bed bugs. The hotel itself was a little bit of a nightmare, but that's no fault to the legacy pit. Like they couldn't have known all of that stuff was going to go wrong. Like I think that they actually did a tremendous job based on all of the awful things that happened with making it go really well. Um, Cause I still think the weekend overall was a huge success. Are you even a real magic player? If you don't have a hotel horror story from one of your tournaments. Yeah. Didn't need another one. I and mean, nothing will top the hotel in Detroit where our first room had fresh blood pooled on the floor. Our second room had a hole in the wall that like, you could go through if you wanted, like a big hole. And then the third room was like, at least had four walls. And we were like, okay. <laughs> uh, also, the uh, the Pro Tour in Phoenix, the last Pro Tour before the world shut down for COVID, I was in charge of booking the room. I, I roomed with uh, Cyrus Corman Gill and Matt Sperling. And sorry, guys, I booked a room with a train in the parking lot, a literal train ran th straight through the parking lot. And I don't mean like down the street, it's pretty close, you can hear it. I mean like the parking lot was bisected by train tracks and that shit ran through throughout the night and blaring its horn the whole time. Uh, Sperling <laughs> literally flew home to California the next morning because he couldn't take another night in the city. <laughs> uh, Cyrus is a tank and slept right through it, but uh, Sperling was like, uh, yeah, I didn't sleep at all and I'm not doing this again. Yeah, rough stuff. Um, yeah, that was uh, that hotel seems shitty. Uh, shout out to Jarvis Yu for letting me stay with him. That was a much better accommodation. So outside of the COVID, um, the 
tournament experience. Uh, let let yeah, let's ignore COVID. Take it as a given at this point. I haven't missed big groups of gamers. Like the 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 tournament itself started like twenty five thirty minutes late, which apparently people forgot that every tournament starts twenty five to thirty minutes late in the last year and a half. They really do. That's just a thing. Like last minute registrations and tournament software issues and like all of that like expect it it's part of the it's part of the game and people were like grumbling like Ugh, we're 20 minutes late i expected more blah 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 like why why did you expect more are you not happy to be here after a year and a half in your house uh, like you're already complaining fucking gamers just chill the fuck out and then when the tournament did get up and running it was like the head judge was making announcements like welcome to the legacy pit open and people were cheering and then like someone in earshot was like why are you cheering it's 30 minutes late it's like jesus christ i hate all of you and just people being loud in general making noise and like my first round i sat down across from my opponent and like the match next to us immediately gets into this like shouting match about whose town they come from is better which like uh, they were just having fun with it i think it was like where are you from massachusetts oh sorry to hear that ha 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 then the other guy was like well where are you from i'm local i'm from baltimore it's like that's worse than massachusetts and they got into this like fake turf argument and it was like you two are so loud right now and i'm trying to play in a tournament <laughs> and like just that sort of general behavior was like ugh, didn't miss it in my second round I had my opponent's friend just walked up to our table and started telling a bad beat story in the middle of game two. Just like nobody asked, didn't even acknowledge them as they approached the table. They just came up and was like, oh, yeah, I just flooded out so bad. <laughs> I gave them the mean mug as best I could. It was just like, if you don't stop talking, I will remove you from this venue. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, man, I have not missed human beings. I did, uh, when I was, I don't know if you noticed, when I was watching your match, there was somebody that came over and started talking very loudly about their match, and I, like, shooed those two people away. I was like, you should walk away. Like, there's a match going on here. Um, I didn't notice that, but I do appreciate it. Uh, I I have no qualms whatsoever about asking judges to remove spectators, which is a thing you can do, by the way. If you're at a magic tournament, you are certainly allowed to have any spectator removed. And I have no problem being like, judge, get these people out of here. And you shouldn't either. So uh, I don't know if we're like supposed to be ordering this at all, but I had to call a judge on myself uh, this weekend. So a little bit of paper rust, even though I did play in a 2K last month. I had cast Echo of Aeon's match, game three of match two, won that game, and then clearly forgot to put the Echo back in my sideboard when I was deboarding and I go to retrieve it match three game one and it's not there. And I check my sideboard. I count it. It's 14 cards. I check my deck box. It's not there. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, oh, I'm about to get a game loss. All right. So I call the judge on myself and I'm like, oh, this is going to suck so much. And the judge is like, okay, well, what card is it? Where do you think it is? And I say, it's echo of aeons. I believe there's two in my main deck. Judge comes over, looks at my deck and goes, yep, that card, uh, there's two of it in your deck. And I'm like, okay. And like, I'm just waiting for them to be like, okay, well, this is a game loss. 
And instead, the judge says, all right, we're going to fix the issue and you're going to get a warning. And my eyes just like, like bulged. I was like, what? I'm going to get to win this game now. And uh, I just like thought I was completely dead. But I guess it changed when they did the the partial drawing extra cards fix, um, from my understanding. And uh, the people around me couldn't believe that I got to win that game either. They did a lot of policy adjustment, like right before COVID shut things down. So it makes sense that this is a surprise to a lot of people. But they have taken most of the draconian things out of tournament policy. Like unless the game state is truly irreparable, they're not going to game loss you. Like all of that sort of stuff. If it can be reasonably fixed, they'll just fix it. And you didn't draw the card. I guess you could make some argument that like, mathematically your deck was different i don't know like by one card like i i don't know i'm not a stats nerd don't don't murder me on the internet for this but like there's some argument there or but like realistically you never drew the card it's supposed to be in the sideboard you found the issue and it is easy to put that card where it belongs and fix the game state without game lossing anyone so uh that that sounds like a reasonable fix according to the current pretty chill policy speaking of rusty irl um i didn't run into a lot of slow play this weekend which was a relief because i was playing bant and i when you register bant for a tournament you have to be locked and loaded to just call everyone out for slow play all day because you're going to need the clock and you can't let your opponent just fart around i had one opponent all day or i I had two judge calls that i i went through one of them was I was playing against this like really nice guy who clearly didn't play much tournament or maybe even paper magic. And it was like one of these people who's just like, I countered their show and tell and they like, you know, made a, a like mock dramatic, like, ah, like big sigh, put their head in their hand, like just sort of look at the table for a second and look at you, smile, shake their head. Like, ah, you had the counter spell. It's like, yeah, you're being really nice, but that was like, seven seconds of game clock that we're gonna need so like tighten up a little bit please uh and like you don't want to like be mean to these people because they are being friendly they're being nice they're a a cool opponent but it's like also like come on (laughs) put some pep in your step here like we got 14 minutes for game three let's go and that person also uh we had a situation where I had Snapcaster Mage on Uro in play, and I said, combat. And he said, yeah. And then I turned my creature sideways. I picked up my pen, wrote down my change of life total, drew the card for Uro, saw the face of the card, and he goes, before you attack, I'll petty theft your Uro. And I was just like, ah, damn it. (laughs) And like, I've seen the face of this card. And so a judge got involved, and the judge was like, I, I up front started answering it like it was a rules question. Like he thought the question was, is there a step between the main phase and when my creature is sideways? Which obviously there is. But what's actually being asked is, according to the communication policy, combat means attacks. Like that is an, a shortcut. People don't generally take actions in the beginning of combat. And if you want to take action in a step like that, you need to be very clear about where you are. And it is on the it, the onus is on the player who wants to take that action to make that clear. Combat in tournament magic means I'm going to attack you now, like no matter where you are. 
So uh, that I think the judge botched that. They were like, okay, well, since there is a step there, we'll just back up to there. Which, and then I had to shuffle my deck because I saw the card. Luckily, I didn't get a looking at extra cards penalty because it was pretty clear how we ended up there. But that was kind of frustrating. Um, it was more frustrating because I was trying to get the match over with. We were down to like three minutes on the clock. I'm like bearing down with Uro. I'm just like, come on. And probably like eight of the minutes were spent with my opponent just sort of like, you know, chatting and doing like weird stuff that didn't need to be done. So uh, that was not something I missed with Paper Magic. Just knowing the rules, knowing exactly where you are and all the steps, like that is a big plus on Magic Online. It's sort of weird if you think about it, going back to like 2014, maybe, maybe early 2015, where if you would ponder and look at an extra card, game loss. You saw that top card of your deck with Uro, game loss. You breathed the wrong way, game loss. Like everything in Magic was just so brutal and punishing like oh you accidentally presented 61 cards or you saw this off whatever and i think you know those changes are good uh there's some where i'm just like an old man boomer where i prefer the more meticulous aspects like announcing your exalted triggers i think like that's just something that should happen but i realize that i'm in the minority on that so take some of the good with the bad i guess yeah oh i I remember a oh go ahead no no you go all right so i vividly remember playing in an open it's like round six, um, paired against Oliver. Is is it Tamakjo? How do I pronounce Tamiko. that name? Tamiko. Um, I am I am in a position where I basically cannot win. And he casts a ponder while I have a spirit of the labyrinth in play. And he goes to draw the card, and I'm just like, no, 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 stop. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't take the win like this. Because if he had drawn that card, like at that time it was drawing extra cards and it would have been a game loss. Yeah, that policy was pretty harsh for a long time. And remember when people complained when it switched to like the Vendillion click thing, where like now the solution, if you draw an extra card, is your opponent gets to look at your hand and remove a number of cards until you have the right number of cards again. And people complained. They were like, what? So they got a free Thoughtseize? It's like, you would have lost the game one month ago. <laughs> like, would you rather play the game with a bad hand or just be dead? Also, just don't do it. Stop breaking the rules. Like that, that's all. Yeah, like I, I didn't mind the draconian penalties because I, I also believe in technical play, but I also, uh, I think that they are better the way they are now. Like if you can fix the game state without ending the game, you should probably find the way to do that. So uh, circling back to rusty paper stuff, I had one other blunder this weekend that Brian has already heard that Phil is not. So Phil will get to enjoy this along I with all this. of you. So my game one against lands, I burning wish for appear into the abyss. I cast it. My opponent is just like, ah, oh, great. I got TES or whatever. And then we board, we draw for game two. And once again, after that whole Echo of Aeons incident, I forgot to put the peer in my board for years. It's been like 2015 since the last time I've had one of these issues. But then I had one twice in one day. I actually opened up the peer in the abyss in my opening seven with seven mana to cast it and i just like started shaking my head and i felt really bad and my opponent's like turn one savannah play just like wasn't good enough to stop here into the abyss and like it's funny but also just like i was so embarrassed that i had forgot to fix it again and i like the rest of the day i counted my sideboard twice in between every game i'm just like okay need to make sure it's 15 need to make sure it's 15 
That's a great story. You should stop telling it and just look like the genius who left in Pierre in game two <laughs> against the non-blue deck. It's like, yeah, Pierre is just really good to jam on the stack turn one, so I left it in. Hand revealed ad nauseum, casually take seven. Yeah, easy money. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. If you take seven, it means you have Pierre in your hand, and you can stop ad nauseuming and then Pierre for the rest of the deck. It's perfect. I have found that I have not gotten rusty in my uh, kind of neurotic handling of my cards. Like, I'm the type of person who I will check my sideboard before and after every game, like twice at the end of a game. I'll look at it before game one. Uh, I keep all of the cards in the same order. So, like, my sideboard this weekend was, like, Wasteland, Engineered Explosives, Null Rod, Carpet, Carpet, Force of Vigor, like, in order. Like, and... It's like an order that makes sense to my brain and I process it quickly, just count to 15 a thousand times. And uh, I did not make any sideboarding errors that did not get rusty. I'm still crazy when it comes to that. So, Phil, did you happen to catch any of the coverage? That's something I did not do. No, I I, I didn't. Um, given circumstances, I basically spent the whole girlfriend, uh, the, the whole weekend with the girlfriend, so understandable fair enough also to be real i don't know that last time i've booted up more than about 10 minutes of mtg coverage like occasionally over lunch i'll throw on like one of your two videos or something like that check out the deck tech but i have i have consumed so little magic media now that i'm not doing tournaments well uh i'd like to shout out mike noble who was on coverage this weekend I didn't watch it, but I assume that Mike did a very good job, and I know that Mike's a listener of the podcast, so Mike, if you sucked, I don't know about it. I assume with how much content Mike consumes that the coverage was excellent. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, though, uh, Mike Noble, he knows that I like the Haribo gummy bears that he brings to every event. They're kind of his signature thing. Uh, we have sort of an understanding that I get some of them at every event, and I did not get any Haribo gummy bears at this event, and I was undefeated until round seven, then lost back-to-back and missed top eight, and I could have used that little burst of energy at the end. So, Mike Noble, thanks for nothing, man. Oh, uh, I actually got some of those gummy bears. I'm not even joking. Yeah, and you top 16. (laughs) That was the difference. I I had to land in the top 32 like a caveman, and you're just living large in the top 16 with your gummy bears. So uh, to rewind to arriving to the hotel, I got there around 10, 1030. You know, I had my beer. I decided I was going to go back, get a nice night's rest. Well, I was staying in the same room as Sam Rukas and Phil Blackman, our editor. And they came in barging super loud around like 12, 1230 at night. And I am already in my like. I sw- I sleep in swim trunks because I find them to be very comfortable. I'm in my trunks. I'm in bed feeling great. And Phil just comes in and goes, this is not an exaggeration. Brian, I need you to convince me on why I wouldn't p- register Thwart this weekend. And I just roll my, like, I don't know if my eyes could have rolled back harder. I'm like, Thwart? He's like, yeah, it's brilliant. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I can't let Phil play Thwart. Like, I don't know if it was an elaborate ruse to piss me off, but it worked. And he's like, I'm going to play three Mystic Sanctuary. I'm going to crush the Control Mirror all weekend. I'm going to return my three Sanctuaries. Think of all that card advantage, Bryant. How could I lose? I'm just like, your opponent plays Tron Ragavan. That's how you lose, Phil. You idiot. 
And like I was or just, just so wastelands angry. you ever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so follow up question, Bryant, do you have a waterbed? I do not. Hmm. It would be on on theme with the swim trunks. Nah, I see what you did there. Yeah, clever. Okay. I mean, they're do just you cut the netting it. out, or is it like the netting is on your body? I don't know. The netting's in there. Interesting. There, there are, there's sharks on them. Doing that. They breathe well. I don't know. All right. I, I think that might be the weirdest thing we've learned about you, but it's 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 fun. It's endearing. That's the weirdest. I'm not going to try it, but good oh, for you, once man. you do, there's no going back. Yeah. yeah that's now why we can I'm not like try it. Pump up the apparel store. We can get like the epicsperm.com swim trunks. Oh, that sounds glorious. I'm gonna have to make those. Yeah, speaking of the epic sperm, I had to talk Jarvis U. We after the event on Saturday, uh Jarvis and I met up with Steve Nagy for dinner, and Bryant showed up with a car of people to the same restaurant later at Jarvis's recommendation, and they had a separate table. And at the end of dinner, Jarvis had some French fries left over. And he picked them all up in his hand, and he was like, I'm going to go throw these at Bryant and yell, welcome to the epicsperm.com. And I was like, Jarvis, no, don't do that. That's madness. And uh, he was difficult to talk out of it. And then he wanted to throw a lime at Bryant. No, he did throw a lime. (laughs) He eventually did. I approached the table, and I was like, Bryant, Jarvis is out of control. He wants to throw a fistful of french fries at you. And... Bryant was like, actually, like, your table's pretty far away. I'll open my mouth and sit still. And if Jarvis can get the lime in my mouth, he'll get 10 bucks or something. (laughs) And Jarvis missed by a mile. He, like, hit the wall seven feet above Bryant's head, like, not even close. And that was that. Jarvis is a maniac. Uh, Just because I know that he will struggle with this joke. All of that was actually my idea, and I was trying to convince him to do it, and he would not actually do it. (laughs) Anytime I tell a story about Jarvis doing something fun or crazy, it's actually me trying to get him to do it, and him saying, no, I can't do that. What are you saying? No. (laughs) Like, that that's the reality. Uh, He also tried to ram several cars on our drive home, and by that I mean (laughs) I tried to get him to ram several cars on our drive home. You're a very good influence. I know, I know. Uh, I think I've talked about this in the past. Uh, the My friend group were very much a yes and friend group, which if you're familiar with improv comedy, basically the number one rule is whatever the premise is, you say yes and then you add to it. Like yes and, you never get to say no or that's silly or I'm not doing that. And Jarvis is the exact opposite. He's no but. He is just a permanent heel, permanent straight man in comedy. Like he's the guy in the, the comedy show who's like, like, when the Three Stooges are, like, slapping each other and being crazy, he's the one like, gentlemen, why I never? Like, why would I hire handymen with behavior such as yours? Like, that's Jarvis. And it's fun to riff off of a straight man once in a while when I'm so used to improv maniacs. <laughs> Frequently at his expense. Sorry, Jarvis. So going back to the hotel room stuff. So after I had convinced Phil to not play Thwart, you know, Marcadian mass staple thwart Phil was like well what should it be in my 60th slot that conversation lasted for over an hour and at around 1 30 a.m I was like Phil I don't care anymore leave me alone I'm going to bed he's like no you gotta help me figure it out I'm like I don't care run like an extra land I'll leave me alone 
And he's like, okay, well, I'll run an extra land, but like, what about my sideboard? And oh my god, my anger just went like even higher than it already was. I was like, leave me alone, Phil. And like, I ended up looking at his board, but I gave like a really bad recommendation and just like crawled back into bed. Uh, but to Phil's credit, I think Phil actually registered a really good deck this weekend. He took just like kind of a stockish miracles deck and then added in four expressive iteration. And at first I couldn't see it. Like admittedly, I was blind to why this was so good. And then he said, Bryant expressive iteration is just dig through time. And a light bulb went off in my head. Like, I don't know why I haven't seen it before, but once it was explained to me that way, it just made perfect sense. You get your land drop plus another card in the early game. Mid game, Phil's deck has four snapcasters, four endings, four swords. You just start burying your opponent with two for ones or three for ones if you get that snapcaster. And then in the very late game, you're getting stuff like Jace and the card just like overperforms. And watching Phil all day Saturday, he was just crushing the like the Delver matchups. They were like, okay, I'll play a threat. He's like, okay, play one of my eight white cards follow it up two turns later with a two for one and then just like by turn like six or seven his opponents would have two cards in hand and phil would just be over there with like six cards and six lands in play like his deck just looked like it functioned really really well yeah expressive iteration is fucked i've been seeing more and more decks of various natures clinging to that card uh so in about the past 48 to 72 hours a lot of people have been messing around with like a four color loam deck with expressive iteration in it as well just trying to like use red as sort of a base pillar of the deck for more than just like punishing fire. And there's also been a lot of blue, red, X, mush floating around in leagues where you kind of have a hard time exactly naming the deck, but it's just built around that card plus 56 of the other best cards in Legacy. Phil, to go back to your video and people not... Uh you know, knowing the deck names or whatever. I saw a few aggressive comments that are like, it's just Guy Sagavan. It's like, well, what about the one that has standstill in it? People call that one rag still. Or what if it's just just Guy Tempo? Like, there's so many of these just like mushy decks right now where like, I don't know what to call them, uh, but they're all the same deck with like four different cards in them. Like, there's only like four or five cards that actually change. And you frequently can't tell the difference between them in a game one scenario. Like, you played six turns, you don't know for sure whether or not your opponent has, like, that extra color or whether they have the standstills. It's been a little harder to do deck names recently than in the past two years. You know it's definitely not the right deck name, though? Snow Miracles. And it hasn't been for a year and a half. Like, <laughs> MTG Goldfish, update your shit. There's not even Ice Fang, Guadal, and Bant anymore. And th there's, like, one Terminus in the sideboard, maybe. Like, there's no, there's barely any snow and barely any miracles. Get it together. Going back to Phil's point, I had a match recently where I was in the middle of game three and my opponent played a grindstone. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, they also just had painter combo in the deck and I didn't notice until, like, turn six of game three. Like, these decks are just bananas. Yeah, people are doing crazy stuff with Urza Saga, especially, like, any one mana or artifact is on the on the table. I posted a league recently where I played against a ninja deck that had Urza Saga and Wasteland in it. And we've talked about ninjas on the cast before, where that deck wants to have one drop into blue-black mana available. And that's the whole plan. The deck doesn't play Wasteland, doesn't play Days, like, for those reasons. Or I guess it had, like, two or three days, like, some small number of Dazes. And it's just like, what are you doing with presumably 
six, eight? Like, how many colorless lands are in this ninja's deck? When is Yuriko ever going to connect? Like, how often do you get Ornithopter off that Urza Saga? What the hell is happening right now? Like, is it just because you play Retrofitter Foundry anyway and you thought this was fun? Because it's not free. <laughs> I don't know. People are getting wild. All right. So one more bad Phil Blackman story, and then I'll I'll be done talking about Phil. So here on this very podcast, shortly after COVID started, because that's when I decided to add Taiga into the glorious Epic Storm deck when it was only four colors. And I made a joke here saying that I was the Taiga King because I bought a fifth FBB because I didn't own a German one. Well, Phil has been sitting on that joke for a year and a half at this point and combined my face with the Tiger King and put it on a play mat and then had me sign it in the morning. Uh, photos of it are on Twitter, but also my tournament report if you go check that out. And then we got paired round one. It was Bryant Cook versus Phil Blackman. And Phil was just like, I knew I should have waited. I wanted, though, he wanted me to see it being used, but then he's like, oh, I wanted you to sign it. So, uh, I was, I went up to the coverage stand. I was like, Hey, I'm Brent Cook. I'm facing Phil Blackman, another podcaster round one. We could be a, a camera match, but also my face is on his play mat. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. And then they just like called up two people I've never heard of before. But Aww. I was like, what a missed opportunity. Yeah. I, I'm trying to mitigate ego or perception of ego when I say this, but I didn't recognize the names of most of the people they were calling for feature matches most of the day. And there were a lot of heavy hitters in the in the scene present in the room and doing well. And they were just like Joe Schmo and Bill, whatever the hell, from table 11 playing at X and one or whatever. It's like, what is going on here? I, uh, I thought the same maybe thing. some of that was like local heroes, you know. I guess, get, yeah. Get, get get the locals on scene and the biggest local event they'll, you know, potentially ever have. I was told that very thing, uh, Phil, but I was also told some of them are like regulars at the Legacy Pit. So they wanted to showcase the regulars more than some of the big names. Not my event. I don't really care. Like, I don't like mind if I don't get a feature match. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But I did think it would have been better for coverage purposes to maybe have more Brian Cobalt's on camera. Uh, Bob Huang, Bobbert was uh, at the top tables most of the day. I know that he fell off a little bit at the end, but Bob had a really good event. And I think Bob only had one feature match, if one at all. I think he got it, but he was crushing and just like they did not put him on camera. And he was playing the Blue Echo deck, right? Like he was just doing something awesome as well as just being Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm not in charge of a coverage team. Whatever. I got a feature match eventually. Had to be undefeated in round six to get it and won. I, I gotta say, I handled that is a Delver player, and I wish that that held up. Uh, my I was 6 0 and 1 going into the final two rounds and uh, lost both Tays at Delver in a row after absolutely handling is a Delver in round six. And yeah, that was a heartbreaker, but at least the one that was not close to close was on camera. Like that, my deck functioned, did everything it was supposed to do, just never. Ragavan never connected. Dragon's Rage Channeler never became a 3-3. Murktide Regents just got plucked out of the air by Endurance and Swords to Plowshares left and right. Uh, that was a good game. <laughs> that was the one that I want on the permanent record, I guess. So uh, there was a match that I'd like to talk about, and then we can move on to uh, maybe the metagame or something else. 
But uh, my second loss, like, I was so dumbfounded at the end of it that I just, like, sat in my seat for a few minutes because I, like, still didn't comprehend what the hell had just happened to me. Uh, in my game one, my opponent uses Merch Flats to fetch up Scrubland, plays Aether Vile. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, kind of a weird start for Esper Vile, but, like, they can do that. Maybe they're, they have a splash card in their hand that they need to cast or something. And then turn two, they fetch for Tundra. I'm like, okay, it's definitely Esper Vile. This is a tough matchup, but, like, I've won it before. And then they play Dark Confidant, and I'm like, that's not normal. And I'm like, okay, well, they fetched up Tundra. They probably have some blue in there. And I have a turn two ad nauseum, or I can wait until turn three and have Veil of Summer. And I'm like, okay, I'll wait till turn three. And my opponent's Vile goes up to two. They flip for Bob. It's Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. And immediately I just like, I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, well, I have a Massacre on my board. So they Vile and Thalia and then play Archon of Emeria. And I was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Was this Phil Gallagher? Was that your opponent? Yeah, th- this this sounds like my bullshit right here. I was so angry, Phil. I, w- I'm, I mean, not towards my opponent, but internally, I was like, how is this person X2? Like, I am um, like 5'2 right now. Or No, that was I was 5'1, 4'1 maybe. But I was just like, what are they doing in the X1 bracket? Like, what They're what casting they Archon of Emeria. Have you ever played against that card? It's unbeatable. Yeah. It's very good in vintage, I'll tell you that. Well, it rolled me. And uh, game three, they had Canis, Thalia, Archon as their curve. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, you got me. But that deck crushed Someone me. Someone could feel some new pants after that. Wow. Yeah, that's a good one. They would then go on to beat uh, local hero, Bobber Huang, as well. Oh, yeah. His deck also can't beat Archon of Emeria. It's not even close. Wow. Yeah, I played against an Archon of Emeria in the tournament as well. And I don't. It, no, it wasn't the same person because my opponent was in like four color Abzan. They were like Abzan with a blue touch for Uro. And in our game two, uh, I they had they curved like uh, Zenith for Arbor into Scavenging Ooze into Archon of Emeria. But I had used Ponder on turn two to set up Terminus. So I, I got to do the like, oh my god, like pick up the Archon of Emeria, like read it with my head in my hand. Like, ah, this is a good one. And then Terminus. See you later, all your cards, and then I won that match. So I, I kind of just like the idea of you being like, "Yeah, whatever, play Euro." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that also that also works, but the scavenging ooze had that one under control. Yeah, so there's this problem with a lot of these hate bear style decks, and it's really apparent in vintage. Like when you just play the bigger, dumber creature, the the hate bear decks just fucking fold. This is part of the reason why, like, the, the Death and Taxes hate bear style decks are kind of bad in Vintage, because you end up with this horrible Shops matchup, because, like, a 4-4 or, or like, a big snake comes down or something, and you're like, oh, well, shit, I, I, have, I have X1s. And the same thing is definitely true in Legacy. You know, if you don't have a Caracas or something to bounce it out of the way and an Uro comes down, like, good, good luck with your, you know, 2-1 creatures. It's, it's not getting there. I had this phenomenal match. You you mentioned the the giant snake, and it just made me think of this. I had a match against uh the the blue Karn deck, the the Echo deck that's not Urza. It's just Karn and artifacts. And I had dress downs in my deck because I play that card a lot. And there was a turn where my opponent had two construct tokens in play, and then just elbow tapped for a stone coil serpent. And dressed down, ate the two constructs, and then made Serpent come in as a 0-0. Zero, zero. So uh, the old 3 oh, for 0 on that one. And then in game 2, like, that game ended on the spot. And then in game 2, 
they had two constructs again, and then resolved a Karn, wished for walking ballista, elbow tap, jammed the walking ballista, and the same thing happened. Just like your constructs are gone, your ballista comes in as a zero zero and attack Karn and you're dead. And wow, I love dress down is the, the moral of that story. All right. Well, since Brian is sharing cards that he loves, I'm going to do a quick one. Twice this weekend, I played Galvanic Relay for at least six and then followed up with a Galvanic Relay for at least seven and just got to see all of the cards and the defeat in my opponent's face kick in. Like they knew that they were dead, but they had to wait a full turn cycle and it was just so awesome. So I did one of the most just utterly filthy things I've ever done in Magic uh, two days ago. Playing Vintage, I got a Stony Silence in play versus Shops. And my opponent had managed to get a whole bunch of other stuff in play. And then I followed it up with Kataki. And their one land was a workshop, so they could not pay for anything. So I got to just sweep about 10 permanents off the board. Oh, see you later. It's it kind of a build-your-own-dress-down. You just had all those specific cards that dress-down just does. Yeah, Phil, have you considered playing blue for dress down? Um, I I actually played a league where I was like, oh my god, this deck needs dress down. I played a a bug or four color deck of some kind recently that just had no good way of answering Urza Saga tokens, so I got just swamped that league. I thought we were done, but since you guys brought it up, I got a YouTube comment this week where somebody commented on my Lone Bant deck. They said, Stifle is better than Dress Down. It's better with Uro and interacts with opponents better. That was the comment. And uh, <laughs> I I think I typed a very short response, like not rude, but like Dress Down is not in this deck for Uro and also Dress Down interacts with the format much better than Stifle. Uh, just like the bare minimum that you can possibly respond to that. But I, I could honestly write 3000 words on why that was a preposterous statement to make in this essay i will <laughs> yeah welcome to my ted talk let me tell you about dress down versus stifle in the context of 2021 legacy magic the gathering fuck guess how many times i have snuck an arrow in with my own dress down playing bant it's close to zero because even when that play is available it's usually wrong you'd rather usually just draw a card it, yep. it, it's just that is almost always wrong like why would you turn your card advantage engine into a clean swords to plowshares target <laughs> just let your dress down die you can uro next turn it will be better my god unless they literally already have rest in peace in play there that's probably just the wrong play i got to uh watch a match this weekend of my good friend max carini wonder pro on magic online and max is always is playing doomsday one of the best doomsday pilots out there in my opinion and Max has carefully navigated this game three where he mulled the five against High Tide, where he like built a pile that beats Brain Freeze, even if they like had some other interaction. And Max's High Tide opponent is, is like burnt out on cards. They have one card in hand. And Max built this Doomsday pile to even beat a dress down. And the high tide player draws for turn and it's a second dress down and I see it and I'm just like, oh no. And uh double dress down at a high tide gets doomsday. And I just like could not believe that was the draw. And I was just like, dress down is such a broken card. Uh I should play that card and wreck doomsday too, but I'm never going to. I love doomsday and I love that doomsday is just a four of in high tide now. Like that's just 
the technology just turn off the entire hate bear deck then win or like also just sideboard against doomsday like wow the the more places that dress down finds a home the happier i'll be so that card is dope i did buy four japanese foils uh the first day that they were available two dollars each yep yep smart all right do we want to talk about the uh results of this tournament at all like the metagame uh I don't want to go too deep on this because I'm sure every other legacy podcast is really digging in, but I think talking about like how this looks compared to the online metagame, uh, I know Brian has some strong feelings about that, and just in general, uh, what did well at this tournament. All right, so I'm just going to run the top eight real quick. Uh, so first through eighth in order, it's Jeskai Ragavan, Alluren, Blue Red Delver, Lands, Affinity, Blue Red Delver, Bant Control, Blue Red Delver. Yep, two of those Blue Red Delvers were my last two round opponents. Bummer. Force the Alluren, though. Outside of the Alluren deck, it's the same results as the Showcase this weekend. Almost one for one. So when people, in my opinion, say like, oh, well, Paper Legacy is so different. I think they're kind of full of themselves. Uh, you might get a little bit more Death and Taxes because it's like a very cheap deck to build. You can build Death and Taxes according to MTG Goldfish for under $1,000, which is fantastic. I love it. But for the most part, the online metagame is fairly similar. I think it's like maybe a 5% difference here or there. But the format right now is like pretty defined. And uh, there are some legacy personalities today tweeting out about how legacy solved and they won't play it until it's fixed, which... You can ju- you can just say it's Bob. Everyone know it's Bob when it's band talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Bob getting so many shout outs in this episode. Sorry, Bobbert. And that implies that legacy is broken. Eh, like I don't I'm I like playing legacy right now. That said, the best deck is very clearly defined. It's any deck playing blue, red, and ragavan. How big of an issue that is to you, you can sue it for yourself, but I'll say this for it being an I'm going to use air quotes here, unhealthy format. I'm still enjoying it quite a bit, but I do understand the frustrations people are having. All right. Are we going to turn this into a bit? Because like I could talk about Merc Died Regent for a couple minutes if if we want to turn this into a bit or we can stay focused on results. No, sure. Go ahead. Talk about Merc Died Regent. Go off. Okay. So in, in playing a bunch of janky decks for the channel, I'm starting to feel that Merc Died Regent is often... A little bit problematic because it's a creature that comes down you know maybe on average on about turn three especially if dragon rage channeler gets involved so it's a turn three eight eight that dodges a bunch of cheap and common removal options so when you're not playing like a, a super polished deck that is ready to handle specifically murktide regent a lot of times you're just like, oh shit, I am dead to this in two swings and the removal that I have in hand doesn't kill it because it's going to dodge your lightning bolts, your abrupt decays, your fatal push, your prismatic ending. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to feel about Merktide Regent the way that I felt like some other things that have eventually gotten the axe where it's just like, oh, and like I am almost instantly dead to this card with minimal interaction possible. I appreciate you, Phil, and I respect your opinion. That said, I uh, pretty strongly disagree. Uh, to me, that's a sign that like maybe the deck building needs to change. Uh, 
like there being this giant evasive threat that gets around commonly played removal like that's not a bad thing like people should maybe play one or two other removal spells like run assassin's trophy or swords to plowshares or solitude like there's cards that exist that people just don't play and as the longer it takes the metagame to shift towards it the more Merktide players will be rewarded. But like people are now only playing Torpor or for Doomsday, and that deck's been wrecking for two years. Um, people just need to switch out some other cards if they're dying to 8-8 giant fatties. Yeah, I, I see like shades of the Oko argument, which is if I'm doing something goofy, this card's going to one-shot me, uh, like just solo the game. And I obviously I I don't, believe that murktide region is close to oko's power level but i i can see shades of oh certainly not yeah uh, like the if i am in the weird fringe space if i'm in tier 2.5 or you know just brewing uh i i think that the i think the turn three or turn four eight eight is a better test of a format i think that's a better bar to ask people to clear than like the turn three, all your permanents are elks, or you're dead if you don't have permanents. Like, I, I see the argument where, but I think that's also kind of cool that decks can diversify their threats in a way like that. I think the problem is more that specifically the Ragavan shells right now, they have a one drop that demands an answer. Like it, it is like this will win it. Like the one drop will solo the game if you don't answer it. But so will the uh, turn four seven drop, and you you really need to answer all of them. Like uh, Delver and Dragon's Rage Channeler, you can like you can, we had this conversation recently on the cast too. I think when we were talking about fair magic versus unfair magic, where it's like I can look at my seventeen life points and know that I can safely take three hits from this Delver before I'm in double bolt range, and like you can math that out and figure it out over a couple turns. Dragon Rage Channeler has card selection attached but ultimately it's also just attacking you for three and you can calculate those things like the the ragavan doing a you know whatever minus your lands like 50 percent like a 50 50 dreadhorde arcanist impression and ramping even when it doesn't uh and then like the 8-8 arrives it's just like i would rather play against an 8-8 than ragavan and i think that that's where the test where like where things are breaking down uh if like i had to answer delver before my life becomes zero and then have to answer the follow-up a date before my life becomes zero without worrying about my deck ending up in my opponent's hand like I, i'm a little more comfortable with that because at least like play removal is the answer rather than uh, i don't know uh, i'm starting to run out of things to add to this thought but i, I think i i've made my point if your point has been made, why don't we look at some of the percentage breakdowns of the event this weekend? So, Brian, your bank control deck was 8% of the field. Out of 350 pilots, 28 people with a 50 match win percentage. Is this what you would expect for Bant? No. And this is, while I agree with the broad stroke that the MTGO metagame is pretty close to the paper one, Bant is like the 21st deck on MTG Goldfish right now if you go by MetaShare. And obviously we know that like not every deck gets published, etc. But Bant is not popular on Magic Online because people have realized that it's not that good uh, in general. Like it's not... Le games take forever. The 
round clock is a problem. You have tough matchups against a lot of good decks, and like Bant's just not that great, honestly. Uh, as as a league deck, or like even as a a moto event deck, but paper players love that shit. Like they the 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 person who plays Legacy three or four times a year, or just maybe at their FNM and they don't really play on moto or grind there. They love settling into a deck like Bant and learning all of those like long control game strategies. And 28 players out of 350, 8% of the metagame, the only deck that had a larger meta share than Bant was Blue Red Delver. And it was by a lot. It was double. But I, I oh no, DNT had one more player than Bant, according to this spreadsheet I'm looking at. So it was Blue Red Delver by a lot, and then DNT and Bant, one player off from each other. And I don't think that Bant should have this meta share, uh, but that is the sort of adjustment that you can make for a, an IRL tournament. I also think if you want to compare the type of combo decks people choose in paper, the like I have two meddling mages, one containment priest online, and I switched to two priests, one meddling mage for this paper tournament. And Doomsday had 11 pilots, elves had 14. So elves had a bigger meta share than Doomsday in real life, which is not even close to the case on Magic Online. Or, no, actually, I lied. It is the case. I, it is the case. I am I just pulled up Magic Online, and Elves actually is slightly ahead of Doomsday. Fuck my life. All right. I retract that point. But people, I think that uh, Show and Tell, Reanimator, and Elves are going to get played more than Storm and Doomsday in real life compared to on Magic Online. So I, I'm in on Containment Priest over Meddling Mage for a paper metagame. But th- those are small adjustments on the fringes. To back that point, there was a lot of reanimator in the room. There's 12 pilots, uh, 47 match win percentage. Not terribly shocked by that, if I'm being honest. I know that reanimator just got grief, but I don't think that deck actually beats a lot of... Or grief didn't solve the issues that it has. Like it, it has a really tough time with endurance. There being six to seven forces, surgicals, ley lines, all that stuff. Like Grief is nice, but... It doesn't actually fix any of the big issues, in my opinion, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I've also been hearing just kind of here and there through Twitter posts and such that um, Reanimator is having way more trouble with death and taxes than it used to because of uh, the existence of like Solitude giving them an extra free effect that sometimes just steals a game. That makes sense. So, uh, Brian, going back to the Bant thing. The spreadsheet doesn't actually have miracles in it, so part of me wonders how much of that band control is actually miracles variants as well. Yeah, and and then you just get into like semantics what is, in general. Yeah, like yeah, like MTG Goldfish has miracles as three percent of the meta, and then they have uh, the uh, snow miracles or whatever the fuck they're calling band as like one point eight percent of the meta. So. If you want to just smash those into like blue decks with Uro and Endurance in them somewhere, like in some quantity, uh, you you get up to like four and a half percent, which is still not the eight percent we're seeing here. Uh, I, I just think people like this sort of shit way more in real life. They want to like feel smart when they grind a big event rather than just actually get trophies on Magic Online, which I can respect. That's not a shot at band players because obviously I am among you. So... Before the event, I told Jarvis this, Jarvis U, for those of you that don't know Jarvis, and I said there's going to be 400 players because that's what they capped that at. I thought that it had capped, but I said there's going to be 400 players. I'm going to guess 75 
uh, Blue Red Delver decks. We ended up with 54. Uh, it was 15% of the meta, which is just a huge percentage of the field. And I actually only phased one Delver deck the entire event. So I got pretty lucky. But uh, it did have a pretty good match win percentage as well. So Delver was definitely out in force. But when you look at like the third, I guess was the fourth most popular deck, Brian, lands. How crazy is that? Uh, it's not crazy because this event was in Maryland. All of the, the lands Baltimore players. Baltimore effect. <laughs> yeah, the Baltimore effect. Uh, you got Jarvis U, Dave Long, Kevin King. Like all of these lands gods just live in Baltimore and they talk to each other and they like build together and they hang out with each other. And like that, that is a significant, that is a real thing. If you don't play legacy in the American Northeast, the closer you get to Baltimore, the more lands players you're going to see. Uh, it does. It also helps that Lance is actually good right now. Like I think it is pretty well positioned. It's doing well on Magic Online, and uh, it, it's a smart call for people to who have reps with that deck. I played against it round one of the tournament. I saw it all around me throughout the day. Jarvis was on it. Uh, Dave Long was there. He was on it. No surprise. Like it, it is just a good deck, uh, and the Baltimore effect was in effect as well. Man, the Baltimore effect would have been a really good episode name. Just uh, if we go back and retcon that, that'd be legit. We can reshoot the intro, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that title would be better if Lance actually won. But uh, despite the... uh, We're going to keep that in the back pocket then. Yeah, despite the 6% of the metagame, uh, there is not a Lance player. Uh, 22nd, David Adelman is the, uh, the best performing Lance player. I thought uh, one top forward. Am I wrong? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yep, right. I'm, top I'm four. Yep. Jacob Romanski. I take it back. The Baltimore effect is here. Um. So I'll, I'll briefly mention some of the DNT data because, like, the data we're seeing here is pretty typical. Um, Death Attacks is, is usually a very popular paper deck uh, because, like, again, it is a budget entry point to Legacy. There are a lot of Legacy players who can lend out a copy of Death and Taxes because it overlaps very little with other blue decks that they might be playing. And just about like always like like clockwork, Death and Taxes has a win percentage in these sorts of events of somewhere around 50%. And there tends to be this huge delta between the the Death and Taxes players who really, really know what they're doing and do well in the event and everybody else. Shocking that an entry-level deck would have players that are both very good and very awful. Uh, I can't believe that, Phil. Could you please break that yeah, down for su- me? Su- su- surprise Pikachu face. Um, while Death and Taxes didn't actually put any decks into the top eight, it does have quite a few in the top 32. Um, it placed 9th, 20th, 23rd, uh, and 33rd as well. So it was, it was, it was an okay day for, for DNT. Tends to be pretty good versus, uh, a lot of the, the Blue Red Delver style decks because the, Yorian builds are playing an absolutely stupid amount of removal right now. I heard a lot of before the match begins, I'd like to reveal my Pokemon, Yorian. And I was like, oh, why can't I get paired into one of these people just once? Never happened, fellas. I, t- I was in a tutoring session last night, and the, the person I was tutoring was like, Yeah, I don't like playing the Yorian build. I don't like letting the Storm players know that they can just go off on turn one or two and I can't do a damn thing. Well, you should tell, ask the, uh, four-color Yorian Aloran player who got second in this tournament, how that effect worked for them. 
I bet like it's non-zero where it's just like I'd like to reveal a companion and then the storm player is just like ad nauseum nerd and they're like force <laughs> and then the game ends. <laughs> oh, love it. I don't want that to be me. There was a it lot of doomsday, a lot of doomsday. And for the most part, those players did very well. Like I had a respectable record throughout the day. Not good enough for top eight, but there's doomsday all around me. I was fortunate to only face it once because it was crushing and there was very good players playing it as well. Yeah, um, just for reference, they were at about a 58 and a half percent win rate uh, over the course of the weekend, uh, which is which is pretty good. Yeah, 11 is a lot of pilots. Um, I wonder how aggressively uh, or how lenient opponents were being with time. Uh, like what was there a three minute doomsday resolution during the course of this tournament and did the opponent let it happen like that's what i think is the practical gate like if you are a stone master you'll be fine just like any deck like i mean the epic storm has complicated lines death and taxes has complicated sequences bant has complicated sequences like the three of us we we get it it's not a doomsday thing but doomsday especially like you need to like you were talking about uh, that person you watched make a pile that beats uh, Brain Freeze, Interaction, and Dress Down. And it's just like, you can't figure that out on the fly. Like maybe in a moto clock where you can just spend seven minutes really piecing it together, uh, you can do that. But you can't do that in paper. And I would call a judge after 45 seconds. Like if Doomsday has been resolving for 40 seconds or more, the judge is coming over. Like you, you got to keep the game moving. And... Yeah, I wonder how generous opponents were being with the time, or if these people were all just able to quickly assemble Doomsday Piles IRL. What I saw for the most part is a majority of them were actually very quick about it. I faced Dave Bruda, who was very quick about it, but I did sit next to one player, and I can't help but laugh. So they put Doomsday on the stack, their opponent says Resolve, they immediately reach into their deck box and pull out a newspaper-sized chart, like literally folded open, and it was just like this really long chart and it had X's and zeros for cards. I didn't understand it all because I couldn't fully see it. But if I was the opponent, I probably would have just called a judge for time purposes. Uh, it seemed like, uh, what is it called? That's uh, straight up outside assistance. Yeah, yeah outside I, I'm actually pulling up the these uh, days. Magic Tournament rules right now. I think they may have made a recent policy update. But if they didn't, that was just 100% illegal. Uh, well, I, it happened. I, I thought it was you could only refer to in between games for, for things like your sideboarding guides and whatnot. Yes. But, but I, I, I'm not super current. Yeah, I, I'm like fairly confident that is the the rule, but keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah, so they just had this giant chart, and I was just like, I would have called the judge immediately. Uh, I remember when Doomsday started getting popular, I had someone in the chat be like, hey, this is my first time resolving this card. And then they took 12 minutes of their moto clock. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. I was like, this deck shouldn't be allowed. But since then, I haven't had that many issues. Players online are actually pretty quick about it. But um, in paper, I understand, like Brian was saying, it's really tough to figure out how to beat Fluster Storm, Brain Freeze, and Dress Down. And you just can't let your opponent sit there for 10 minutes figuring it out. Like, you just got to be like, you have to make a decision. I need you to make a play. That sort of stuff. And eventually, if they don't do anything, call a judge. But also, like, just call a judge. It's free. Yeah, I'm going to be playing, quote unquote, real Doomsday for the first time. I've got it twice in the queue. I've played a couple of, like, decks that have a Doomsday finish in it, but never dedicated Doomsday. So I, 
I, I get to be that guy this week and next week. Well, I hope your comment section is very nice to you, Phil. So there are a few other decks in here that I thought were like sort of interesting. Before you get into this point, I have pulled up the MTR. And uh, yeah, that that was a match loss. Oh, um, the so tournament error outside assistance IPG three point two definition a player spectator or other tournament participant does any of the following and then the second bullet is during a game refers to notes other than oracle pages made before the official beginning of the current match like the form notes can take can be varied but are typically on paper while looking at these notes between games is okay during a game is not permitted as an exception official oracle text etc like that was just 100 percent against the rules nice just fyi <laughs> If your doomsday opponent pulls out a fucking newspaper, call a judge. <laughs> uh, so there's two other decks that I thought were like sort of interesting. So there were six Hogak players. And if we go back about a year, Hogak was like this secret deck that only showed up for large events that would just smush. Like during the Oko era, it would just come in, it would mop the blue deck's faces, and then it would never have any results for anything that wasn't a showcase. Uh, like for some reason, those players just didn't exist for regular challengers or whatever. Well, there were six Hogak players here in the pit open, and they did miserably. A 47 match win percentage, not that great. And I wonder how much of it is that these new blue decks are even better than the ones from last year. In my opinion, they're probably actually pretty close. Uh, and then we have Mono Green Cloudpost, which is another like traditional blue suit monster killer. Uh, before and, we jump off of Cloudpost, uh, or we jump off of Hogak, uh, Endurance was printed. That's that's the difference okay. in yep. the blue decks right now. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one and done. Put three of those in the deck. The Hogak matchup changes dramatically. All right, continue with Cloudpost. And Cloudpost is just like another blue killer. And it had like about a 50 match win percentage, 52% uh, with six pilots. So it's not bad, 22 and 20. But uh, these decks used to just like randomly spike. And we've been seeing less of that recently. So like the blue decks are finding ways to beat these fringe decks, I'll say, um, that are traditionally bad matchups. So I think that's sort of interesting. I know I saw some interesting tech and people sideboards this weekend. Uh, Phil uh, Blackman played it to Sabo's web. I also saw a... Um... Fuck that card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that card's great. Oh my god. Um, I saw it's, from it's the, the original dress down. You just blank your opponent's deck and draw a card. Love it. Yeah. Uh, but I also saw a uh, from the ashes this weekend. So it looked like people were prepared. I don't know. It's just like sort of interesting to think about if the blue decks have a stranglehold right now or if they're fine or I don't know. Well, From the Ashes is a complete crusher against actual lands and the Baltimore effect is a reason to play From the Ashes, even if you wouldn't normally. And against the Cloud Post decks, like blue soup is a pretty generic term, but we can't forget about this 15.5% of the metagame on Blue Red Delver. Just fucking... Ragavan, Dragon's Right Channeler, waste you, you're dead. Nice cloud post deck. Uh, like that that's the police right now. It's not that blue got better. Uh in in fact a lot of the blue decks, at least the ones that I've seen, they're moving away from back to basics, they're moving away from Blood Moon, and they're just a lot of them are getting greedier is the problem. Like the Bant decks have expressive iteration in them now. They're splashing red out of the sideboard for Pyroblasts and we just can't really afford those things 
if I knew for sure I was playing in like a local with 16 people and two of them were on cloud post, I would just put back to basics in my deck anyway and let my five basic lands do the work. But in an open field, I, that's just not a slot worth hemorrhaging, at least in my estimation. But it is the that giant Delver meta share that's keeping cloud post in check. Yeah, but what happens when they reveal Primeval Titan, Brian? What about it? I don't know. They can't cast their spells. Bad joke. Let's move on. Okay, got it. Oh, oh, right, so. you mean off Ragavan. Okay. I mean, it connects twice. You can do it. <laughs> here it comes. Busted. All right, so another thing about, like, the, the Delver meta share here. Um, there's 54 players on Blue-Red Delver. There's another 14 player on assorted Jeskai Ragavan variants, a lot of which are essentially going to be Blue-Red Delver decks that just happen to have Prismatic Ending in them, because that's just another very cheap, efficient answer to your opponent's Ragavan and other one-mana plays. Um, and there's a handful of other things that, um, like the other tempo category, the Rug Delver category, that add a little bit to Delver's meta share. So I, yep. we, we were maybe a part of it, during the last band cycle not that i'm saying that like we need bands right now i'm not trying to say that but um wizards was pretty tone deaf to the results for a long time until just basically the entire legacy community all at once was like hey do something already and poked wizards um do we think that wizards sees any of this stuff like it's a paper tournament they don't really care about it uh, they see the showcase results and, you know, Jeskai, Ragavan keeps on doing well. Modern Horizons is selling through the roof still. Modern Horizons 2, that is. Like, do we think Wizards is even thinking about this stuff right now? I can't answer that, obviously, because I like none of us work at Wizards and we won't be able to know for sure. I am I'm always confident that the people who make these decisions care about magic. It's just the... Uh, the priorities and versus resources and man hours to really think about it. Um, Gavin Verhe was recently in a popper content creator discord that I'm in. And he did like a brief Q and a with wizards. Uh, Alex Allman put all that together. Thanks Alex. And Gavin basically said, if you want wizards to care about your community, you need to get your community to care about your community first, uh, which was like, popper events weren't firing the format like wasn't doing well even like before the meta gut shitty like it was basically just like make us care about it was his challenge to the popper community and and let's look at legacy history uh we had a giant grassroots groundswell to get rid of oko at that point the uh somebody made that actual construction sign banned sensei stop and put it in front of watsi headquarters during the top era like not to say that the that sort of theatrics is how you get cards banned but like we we do need to recognize that we are a niche format in constructed like edh is the priority right now arena is the second priority right now which means standard and draft and then after that, it's like, can they breathe life into Pioneer? They're just printing Pioneer event decks right now. Like, they're clearly putting effort into Pioneer. Moderns after that. And then here we are, screaming from ancient times with these reserveless cards that they uh, have made it clear that they, the people who want to do something about it can't do something about it. And it's like, we, we're pretty far down the totem pole of priorities for Wizards. And we do get bans. They do manage the format. It's just... Uh, we got to make them care. And 
right now, even on this cast, like we've been pretty clear of like, oh, you know, I'm not really arguing for a ban here. Just, you know, like, does Wizards care? It's like, well, if we're not actively arguing for a ban, then no, they don't care is is what I'm saying. And then you have like the Bob and Honorog squad who are just like ban every card all the time. And then you have us that are like, oh, let's give it another three months. And uh, I, I don't know, like, well, eventually something will happen. I do think that the Ragavan the things Ragavan does to the format are kind of unhealthy. Like I think is it Delver is beatable. I think the Rag still is beatable, the Jeskai Ragavan, like whatever you're gonna call it. But trying to beat both those decks with one different deck, it it starts to get complicated. So uh, Especially if you want to respect the wide range of decks that you are actually realistically going to play against. Right. It's 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 one thing to target yourself and build to beat Delver. It's another thing to be able to beat Delver while also not folding to like the the Karn artifact deck or, you know, the the Death and Taxes deck that you're going to get paired against. Right. And and just looking at this Legacy Pit tournament, going back to the the numbers, 15.5% of the field was blue red Delver. So you build your deck to beat blue red Delver. 16 combined percent of the field was Bant and Death and Taxes. So there's actually more Bant and Death and Taxes like together than is a Delver alone and, and like what deck crushes Delver, but also has game against Bant or death and taxes. That's trying to go along and really outgrind decks, the type of deck that would want to crush Delver. Like it, it's just, I do think Ragavan is slightly out of bounds in legacy, uh, but I'm not like screaming about it yet. Oh yeah. Like, I, I am at the point where if someone said, hey, we're going to ban some stuff, I'd be like, okay, cool. But I'm I'm not sitting outside of Watsi headquarters and asking yet. You're not printing up construction signs? Nah. Gotta get you a plane ticket, Phil. I've been, I've been having fun playing Legacy. And, you know, I, I play competitive decks. I play a lot of bullshit weird decks. Like, format has been fun. I haven't sat down and gone like, oh, shit, I don't want to record today. Format sucks. I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah, I actually do really like playing Legacy right now. It's just whenever you sign up for Legacy, and I mean, I got pretty lucky this weekend that it only happened once. There are just like this oversaturated amount of just people playing the best deck, which is something that everyone probably should do. But it's uh, especially bad in challenges where you get paired against Delver five of your seven rounds. Um, And like, that's just playing magic. Like, I'm not complaining too hard, but it gets a little old after a while and maybe when that happens take a step back come back in a week you know that sort of thing it's just unfortunate like sociologically that the best deck right now is also the deck that any random would choose on purpose like if they were stepping into legacy anyway like delver has this long history of being like it's like chess you get so many micro decisions like be winning with delver means you're very smart like all of these things that people have been saying since Delver was printed. And this deck is just like S tier on top of having like the the community meta. Like it, it will be heavily played even if it's not great because it's fucking Delver and it has that legacy. But it's also just S tier right now. That said, I played it like I hadn't played it in months. I specifically avoided it. My subscribers weren't asking for it, but I did record a league with it. That'll be up next week and it's hard like wow i have reps with delver i have a i've won a, 
two legacy open or not opens uh classics with delver i have a uh eternal weekend top eight with delver like i know how to play delver and this deck is hard like even for a delver deck all of the micro decisions and like the you know ragavan versus dragon's rage channeler remembering to stack your ponders so that you can surveil an extra card away like it, there's just a lot of things that this is not a pick up and play version of delver not that any delver ever was but this one is worse like this is a seriously high skill testing best deck yeah and i think the easiest way to to like really qualify or maybe quantify that is just like the raw number of cards you look at in a game now like when when you finish a match with delver it's not uncommon that you only have like 30 cards remaining in library because of how much like expressive iteration and dragon rage channeler allow you to just dig so so deep into your deck and when you're looking at that many cards you have so many micro decisions to make right and those 30 cards left in your deck you may have shuffled a ponder you've bottomed some with expressive iteration you've seen half of those cards too like it's so many cards like we've talked about murktide region as being a turn three or four threat that thing has delve five and only gets bigger if you're exiling specifically instants and sorceries like that that thing yeah like there there are, are things in place that uh are just shredding through your deck and it, it it is a really tight package with a lot of decisions to be made a quick note uh, i was you know closing tabs i was looking at mtg goldfish legacy the Baltimore effect apparently is just the legacy effect because lands right now is the second deck in Goldfish, which I didn't realize uh, going into this podcast. I don't know if you two gentlemen did. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I was saying. That lands is just good and well positioned and doing well on Magic Online. I did I did say that earlier when I was talking about the Baltimore effect. Uh, the let's see, lands was. Uh, six percent of this metagame it says it's five and a half percent of the online metagame so that is pretty close but if we were not in baltimore like that's <laughs> again here we go brian's gonna roll his eyes at this that i'm inventing this like sociological phenomenon about paper magic but lands is not a deck that overlaps with anything and even if it is well positioned if you're just in like texas you're not going to play against six percent of the field is lands it's just not going to happen but Yes, uh, that does accurately reflect the MTGO metagame at the moment. I also imagine that the people that own Tabernacles that haven't sold them yet are just like willing to fly somewhere to play Legacy, um, which is why like, <laughs> oh, <me>. yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, if you own a Tabernacle, you might as well own a house in Baltimore, too. It's the same thing. Did you know that Penderel Vale is a suburb of Baltimore? I'm, I don't know if you're messing with me, but I'll believe you. No, it is, yeah. Yeah, I believe Jarvis lives there. It, it's like between Glen Burnie and uh, Frederick. Like, Pendrel Vale is just right in the middle on the map. Look it up. It's like 40 minutes over the Pennsylvania border. One of my favorite places is when you're driving to um, Boston, there's Belchertown. And I mean, I can't help but chuckle every time you drive by. That's pretty dope. That, yeah. That's a good one. Oh, um, Speak did we did we talk about the deck with the highest win percentage from the the event yet? Oh, oh yeah, let's do this. Phil, take your victory lap. It's Red Prison with a whopping one pilot and a almost seventy eight percent win percentage. But Phil, how's that? We're different? not going to talk about. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Blood Moon Aggro 
which is somehow categorized which separately. Which is clearly a different deck, which yes. had a 40% win rate for the weekend. Across, yeah. Across four pilots, Blood Moon Aggro went 10 and 15 for 40%. But then there is some genius who named their deck Red Prison instead of Blood Moon Aggro and went 7-2 to carry the the highest win rate of the weekend, just shy of 78%. And it's not close. That is the best deck in the field by a lot. Some Twitter discourse about green-white depths and how it's not very good. I had 13 pilots and went roughly 52%, which is sort of what I would expect out of that deck. But I also think that a lot of the really good pilots that might have played green-white depths switched over to lands. Like, those two decks, I imagine, just, like, they share the same players in a, in a similar way that, like, Doomsday and Ant, you know, share the same player pool. Am I wrong there? Uh, I think you just walked into your own criticism where uh green white depths 3.7 percent of this metagame and it is 3.1 percent of the online metagame so we're in the easy margin of error everything is made up the points don't matter the algorithm wins at the end of the day you got me (laughs) all right so what we've learned in this episode is don't try to make any sweeping generalizations about paper magic versus magic online because the the math's going to bear out the same and you might as well just look at the front page of Goldfish and build your deck accordingly for the, your next Grand Prix. That's what I've been saying for years, Brian. Years. The, the other lesson we've learned, and this one is more important, name your deck something different than everyone else playing your deck and do well. And then you'll have an outrageous win percentage. That's my biggest takeaway. I was forced to register yeah, I mean, as four-color storm. Come on, MTG Melee, get your shit together. Is that all the colors you have? Don't you? No, have I'm playing five. Yeah, they won't let me register a five color storm. There, there is an option to add a deck name. It's like under the, there's like a drop down of all deck names that currently exist, but you can add a deck name. Oh well, I'm a fool. I considered adding my own deck name for like four color lone band, but I, I didn't know how much information Melee was going to give my opponent when they logged into the app, and I, I didn't want to accidentally give away everything i was doing so i just called it band control like a fish i mean if that was the case of goldfish was or melee was going to give away information you'd want to register your deck as like mr toad's wild ride or whatever yeah i considered calling it like uh mono blue zombies or something uh like something wild because all of my experience with melee in the past is online tournaments like all of the arena pro tours were run through melee and you get the full deck list that is a feature that can be enabled on melee and we were told that it deck lists wouldn't be shared uh, that we were told ahead of time but i still just didn't necessarily believe it so one thing i did find funny about the event is uh melee so there was like this blunder in the beginning of the event regarding the player meeting and pe- some people are like, do I go here? Do I go there? I'm getting different information. And it was mostly because Melee was like, you can't run a 400 person event during COVID. This isn't safe. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. Yeah, the, the public service announcement that was ignored. Oh, I was reminded of another story. I thought I was done going off for the night. But this one, uh, looping back to my gamer behavior from the beginning rant, the uh the player meeting seatings went up and i went to the table i was supposed to be at and the there the person i was like paired against quote unquote uh 
had like a a very clearly asian last name like Wu or something like that and i got to the table there was an asian guy sitting at the table and there was this like big white guy in a sleeveless shirt with a bunch of tattoos and like a scraggly beard and i was like <laughs> i just i didn't want to make any assumptions so i was like which one of you is blank and like said the guy's name and obviously the asian guy was like it's me so i was like hey buddy you're in my seat and he like was in the middle of filling out his deck list and everyone was moving to their seats. And he just like looked at me and he's like, uh, this is just a player's meeting, right? Doesn't really matter. And then went back to writing his deck list. And I was like, you're in my fucking seat. Like, do I need to call a judge? And then like, at that moment, the, the TO announced like, oh, there's been a problem. We're repairing the player's meeting. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like the audacity of like, like, oh my God. Like, Act right in public, people. Like, who do you think you are? Like, everyone else has a seat they're supposed to be at. There's This is set up this way for a reason. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. It's just the players meeting. Maybe fill out your deck list at home, you piece of shit. That's that's my final rant for the night. Also, <laughs> deck lists were submitted digitally on MTG Melee the night before. So I don't even know what this person was filling out. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's the kind yep. of shit that like that's not how you want to start your day when you're already like tilted from the COVID situation. It's just like some D Lord in your in your seat, like it doesn't matter. It's like it's about to matter. You better get up. Well, on a more positive <laughs> okay. note, one thing I regret about the weekend is there was a bunch of people there that I am friends with that I just did not get to spend enough time with or even see because, you know, it, the, the event flew by it felt like and there's just some people that i would have liked to talk to for five minutes or whatever and there were so many friends there that i just didn't get to yeah i'm a very facial recognition based person like i'm terrible at names like i i need to hear someone's name three or four times before i remember it but i'll remember your face from just like walking past you on the street uh and masks is just like people are like saying hi to me i'm like hi like and in my head i'm like do i even know you are you just saying, do you just know my name because of the YouTube channel or like, do, are we actually friends? Like how much should I talk to you? Like that was tricky. Uh, I bumped into Paul Lynch in like round seven and he was like, oh, hey, oh, hey, yeah. Hi. And I was like, oh yeah, Paul, you are under there, aren't you? And we had a conversation basically of just like, yeah, I don't know who any of these people here are, even though like I've known most of them for a decade or more. All right. In Paul's defense, he was dressed in all Baltimore Orioles clothing, had an Orioles mask and a hat. Like, if you don't oh, know yeah. that's Paul Lynch, Paul, that's your fault. <laughs> Paul Paul was certainly identifiable. That's how we ended up in the conversation. But, like, <laughs> yeah, any, any like, normal-looking person. Not so much. I, I did have one person tell me they didn't recognize me without a Mets hat on. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, where was your Mets hat? What were you doing? I got a haircut. Did I had to show it off. Your, your haircut? Yeah. yeah. I actually did... When I first saw you in the morning, I was like, yeah, his hair's looking pretty fresh. Nice. At first I was like, is that Bryant? Because you had a mask on. And then I saw your hair and I was like, it's definitely Bryant. I'm safe. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I feel like we're running out of steam here. Just complaining about people. Yeah, we're just spinning our wheels at this point. I missed not seeing Phil. I wish we could have had yep. Phil there. Well, I did. Yeah. Uh. Actually, I don't wish we could have had Phil there. I wish neither of us were there to not see Phil, quite frankly. <laughs> um, in retrospect, no offense to the Legacy Pit, just all the offense in the world to COVID and people who refuse to get vaxxed. I am intentionally offending you. So those people, 
eat a dick. I'd like to hang out with Phil at some point. Um, shout out to the Legacy Pit, though, for, for trying. Uh, it, it sucks that the world snapped back closed after you made that you know, valiant effort to open it back up and is what it is. Really Thanks was running a, a pretty good event. Yeah, it was a solid event. I sort of feel like it was uh, this very small window you had to play Paper Legacy in a large event because things are going to get shitty again, but hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I have a wedding booked next month, and I'm like starting to think, like, do I do I just cancel this now? Do I just like ship my gift to this person's house and just be like, I'll see you next summer? Like, yeah, we're back in that decision point. Whatever is what it is. Uh, I did skip one judge story, but I'm not going to waste everyone's time with it. It's in my video tournament report, so go watch my my tournament report for all of my personal stories. I, I had a number of stories that didn't make the cast that will be told there instead. Are we done? Yeah, we don't have anything else cool to say. All right, see you all next week. Well, no, we won't see you because like this is a podcast, but like whatever, you'll listen to us in two weeks probably. Something, something, Stockholm Syndrome. I'm out of good ideas. Goodbye. Goodbye.